So today we have Mancom McGann with us. He's a writer, documentary maker, amongst many other things. Mancom, I was chatting to you the other day and I mentioned that we had been speaking to Dear Midling and that was our first idea that we might, that would be great to get in touch with you and have a chat with you. And what he mentioned to us was your new book, 32 Words for a Field, which, which we have here. Well done. And that inspired, <laughs> that ins actually inspired myself and Cormac to want to learn the Irish language, just hearing the way Dearman spoke about it. And what I really noticed was when I was reading words that I'd never even seen before, and when I was saying them in my head, I was getting a feeling of nostalgia reading the word. It was like this nostalgic feeling I was getting. And also got it when we were watching one of your documentaries on yeah. the Lost DNA. We were watching that, that and I was getting this feeling of nostalgia when you were talking about the ancestors and stuff. So it's like, and it's a powerful feeling. I'm getting that from reading the words. So it obviously shows there is this kind of power, especially the one that really stood out was Kaharine, the word for a field with a fairy dwelling. And when I'm reading that word, it's, it's powerful. I was just wondering how important do you feel it is for us as Irish people to reconnect with that language? So there's two things. First, so as you said, I wrote a book and it was going to be just a book about the Irish language. And books about the Irish language don't sell. You know, they just, you, you print it out and, you, and nothing happens. So mm. obviously that book did well, but something is happening on a bigger scale that we're only just about touching on now that that feeling you're having about the book, but about the Irish language, about so many elements of heritage and our culture, that's happening all over Ireland. In fact, it's happening all over the world with people trying to connect to something that has meaning and often things that are connected with, rooted in the land and connected with the past. And like, this couldn't have happened on purpose. Like this is something rising. In other words, no one could have created this. This is something that is rising almost in consciousness in our time. And it's really exciting. And like, it's, it couldn't have come at the, at the perfect time. So, so many of us are feeling this first, you know, there was this, I suppose, general malaise of people feeling not connected with things and people getting more and more addicted to stuff, whether it was just coffee or the internet or, or, or harder stuff. All of us felt a vacuum, so we filled it with something, TV, YouTube, coffee, cookies. Um, and, you know, in the last few years, people have thought, no, wait there, I wanna, I'm waking up. I'm basically, I wanna take control of who I am again. And I wanna ground myself in something solid and something rooted. And whether that's going onto the yoga mat, mat or whether it's going and doing an Ironman challenge, there is this urge to reconnect. And that is the most exciting thing that has happened basically almost ever, do you know? So maybe around the time that Jesus came 2000 years ago, there was some sort of new energy on the planet that made people think about, about bigger issues, um, you know, in good ways and bad ways and it all got kind of complicated. And then we have this sense that something happened in the 60s. Some Oh, it sounds really naff, but a portal was opened or something. This, you know, they called it the age of Aquarius at the time. There was some new energy coming and it was a seed. And it must have been potent because like everything changed from all of that controlled, stricture, male dominated world of the 1950s. But that had continued for like 150 years before that. Suddenly the seed changed in in cities, really, you know, in America, in London and places in Berlin, not so much in Ireland. And now it's the next level of this. That seed that was planted back then seems to be flourishing. And of course, it's impossible to prove this, but everywhere you go, all around the world, people are finding meaning. And just in my little world, because of that book, like Gill Publisher, Gill Books published that book, they didn't expect anyone to buy that book. Like, you know, it's gonna be the few grannies and, and Gwelgors who bought the book, but everybody, you know, people had the keenness. In the same way, there's a lot of like, tree planting charities at the moment there's grown and home tree and um wolfgang wolfgang forestry and people want to plant trees we want to get out and again this other thing that happened during covid everyone going out and buying seeds and buying potting compost and growing their own vegetables mm -hmm. so something really big is going down at the moment and it's so early that we don't have a full picture on it but we all feel it like that was not a natural, that was not a rational feeling you had when you opened that book. Had you opened that book five years ago, I would have said, you would have thought, oh, geez, another Irish word like in school. So I, I, I have a feeling that something potent is happening. And to answer your question briefly, yes, it's very important that it does. <laughs> That's a good answer. I'm delighted to hear what you're saying there because it, for me, I've been kind of going on my own spiritual journey, if you like, in the last, the last year or two. And... I feel pulled to certain things at certain times. And even like Wolf Academy came in a vision 
in Mexico at the top of a mountain. But I feel like there, there's just this draw for me to go home and reconnect with my brothers, reconnect with the friends I had when I was young and create something for other young people to kind of guide them. We don't even want to teach them too many things. We just want to give them the space to grow. So I see our job as like a mix somewhere between like teachers and gardeners. But sometimes there's an urge to like tell everything we've discovered, like, oh, this is the way or whatever. But I think we're kind of like pulling ourselves back and saying, find your own way. And here's the space to do that. So um, it's just great to hear how it's kind of coming together in terms of the language as well and nature. They just seem to be teams that are keep coming up for us, even doing this podcast. We didn't, we never really planned to go down this route with the Irish language, but it seems to be pulled to us and nature as well. So I heard you mention before that stories are so important for us and these myths and stories. What kind of way would you see Irish being reintroduced in terms of education? Because, you know, like everyone complains about the way it's taught. So like what way can we help young people reconnect with it in that way where they, they want to know it and they want to learn it? Yeah. So um, there's a few different ways. And one thing that I suppose I've been doing, and that book is an example, it's just loads of words. And I have a book coming out next year, of Words for Kids. In fact, I was looking at the first proof pages today. It's come back to me. And it's a big Mahtira page, a big wolf page. And there's all the different words for Mahtira, you know, Fuelhu, um, which is like wild hound. Then there's Ahar Talun, um, so the father of the earth. No, yeah, Ahar, Ahar Alta. No, 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 it's not Madra Alta, wild dog. And then Ahar um, Mahtira, the son of the land. Um, so those words can have a potent effect. Like I particularly like the words for light, the words for, for shining light. There's a word lesbon, which means the dancing colored lights that appear in front of your eyes when you get too close, when you drift a little bit too close towards other dimensions. And that's similar, but it's different from scrimplini. And scrimplini are the supernatural lights that dance before your eyes. Again, when you're in a time of uncertainty or when you're just between the realms a bit. And the one thing that we know about Irish people from the beginning of time is we believed in the other world. We definitely believed in this world. We knew how to grow, we knew how to, 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 to work in this life, but there was also that connection with the other world. And now, you know, we do, we either do psychedelic drugs or we go on a yoga meditation or we go on, you know, we somehow try to bliss out into that other world. But that was part of our being from the very beginning. We knew how to do both, how to really focus and then how to drift into other dimensions and have that wider view. And it is latent. It is dripping from so many words of the Irish language. This idea that there is an expanded consciousness that all humanity have, all humanity who haven't either been colonized or oppressed or closed into some small stricture thinking by um, a controlling oppressive force like, like Christianity in, in, in Ireland. Um, not on purpose, I think Christianity was well-meaning in some ways, but you know, there was a, a strong force of brainwashing. And so in that basis alone, we can take these Irish language words, and I often talk about that difference between counter and altar. So everyone in school will, will turn, talk about, the, will learn the word counter, a district or a place or a region, but then we've forgotten, in fact, it has been taken out of us, the word altar, which is the opposite of place, region. It's the other world, the nether world. And again, it was recognized there was only a thin veil between the two. Um, that, and there were some people who could jump from counter to altar. There's also the word skim. Like skim means, it means dust particles, or it means like whitewash on a wall, very fine grain. But it can also mean, um, it can mean sort of a supernatural um, covering that covers the earth at night, at night or during the day, a sort of mist. And it also means succumbing to the other world at sleep. So skim, the idea that we can heal ourselves, we can go into this other dimension at sleep and that there's a word for it. So all of these are powerful words to set us on train to control our fate again, and they're in the Irish language. So on that level, on the level of words itself, it's important. But then you referred to myths, mythology and saga, it's really complicated. Um, we can have those words, we can have myths translated, that's fine. But some of the words like gesh, like an, uh, an omen or a... Um, what is it like a yeah it's a taboo that is put on people we won't fully understand those until we um yeah until we dive a bit into the irish language and if we start understanding the myths 
Like the myths will just, they will eat you up, roll you around and spit you out the other side because they are talking about things that are to do with dimensional existence, but also epochs of time that are beyond thinking. Like the Kailach, the witch, the Kailach is often said, the Kailach Beira, that she remembers a time where there was a woodland in the Atlantic Ocean and there was soil and land in the Atlantic Ocean. She's before, she's, I remember a time when that Atlantic Ocean was woodland. And that's true. Geologists say that, of course, you know, Pangaea, there was that one planet and it split open and created the Atlantic. Somehow this information seems to be encoded in the myths. So if we do go into the myths in any culture, you will end up basically blasting your mind wide open. It'll just make you see different things. It'll make you see that time and space aren't linear, that aren't limited, that we can actually do things. We can, we can um, tap into parts of ourselves that are just beyond anything. So all that's just awaiting us now that we've now that we've shown an interest into in the Irish and that we've stolen the Irish language and Irish culture back from you know the people who've had it in the last hundred years. I don't know, maybe Gregor Zealots or maybe you know sort of the nationalist republican movement or something. Um, yeah. And with that, how do we make sure if people are delving into these other realms that they come back? And don't go too far. I remember, I think you realized when you're in India, you had your period of enlightenment and you just wanted to, and you're going into places in your mind that were maybe further than most people can go without, you know, losing it. So how do you, how do you make sure that people can delve into these other states and other realms and make sure they get back as Ian Taylor on our first episode said, making it down is mandatory. So coming back down the mountain. Right. Um, yeah, and so we really are in early days on this, you know, and there were, I suppose, some pioneers who were looking at our own culture and looking at rituals and, um, and re reappraising or reconnecting with our past. And some of it, some of it was a bit off-putting because some was a bit either too new agey or too sort of Celtic spirituality or wishy-washy. And that's okay. Like with any new movement, we have to find our feet and there'll always be those eager ones who, who might just go and be too immersed in it and, um, make it then either exclusive or just less attractive to other people. And still definite dimension of that. If you go up onto the Hilatara or Nishnach or some, you're going to have some people who have this sense of that, that, that it's theirs, that they own Celtic spirituality or something, and they won't allow anyone in. So we need to sort of drip feed all of these new ideas into society in a slow release way so that we can accept it uh, spot on, uh, you know, um, drop after drop. And then we need we need not just the extreme sort of shamans and druid figures with the gray beards leading but actually it being the teachers being comfortable to talk about about Bialtina and about Imbolc and Lunasa and I'm seeing that all over Instagram all over Twitter you know five years ago people didn't talk about the pagan goddess Bridget on the first of February and what she was doing or like Bialtina and the rituals you know that was only a tiny elite of sort of weirdos now more and more people, mainstream people are engaging with these things. And that's what's going to help us. If we don't, like there'll always be the extremes who go right deep into things. Like, as I said, like, as you say, like I did in India, went too deep. But most people are, are more balanced than me, have more sense. They just, they want an aspect of something bigger in their life. But they want to, they don't want to go totally up their own hole, which is I in risk doing sometimes. Um, they want to have it be in this world too. Um, and I just think, in the same way that this information is only coming out now, the guides and the helpers and the the the, the sort of directors will 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 come along now to, to lead us into this. They already are, I see, so much. Just as you were touching on um, going into those other worlds, it was reminding me of last year, myself and Cormac did these guided shamanic journeys. And we went and we had to, there was a few rituals we had to do before the journeys. We had to go and find a stone, whatever stone called out to us and spread seeds over the land and different things like that. And I remember the second journey we went on, that's what that felt like for me, like going into a different world. We went, came to the bottom of a tree, bottom of a tree, the ground opened, we went down. You're seeing all this so vividly, you're down, you find your spirit animal, he brings you back up and he's kind of embodied then in your stone. And I still carry that stone everywhere with me now. Mm. I still carry that stone. I still have that stone it's in my bag. Actually, grab it. <laughs> That's it right here. Mm, and like, wow. it's 
it is it's weird it's powerful like you know and that's what that was that's what i was thinking of there when you said delving into the different realms and also just when you were talking about the rituals and drip feeding people so we for bialtana we went we actually went to the hill of tara like you mentioned there and it was a group of us and we lit the fire and we kept it light-hearted and there was music and drums and a bit of meditation but there was people there was actually two brazilian people there as well like people from everywhere and i noticed that it was like everyone here is from such a different background and had such a different journey on life but when you're here like when you're there under the stars in your bare feet fire in nature like it's nothing else matters about the outside world it's just what's there in that moment and I'm just noticing more like I'm getting so pulled into it and karmic and everything kind of points to nature. And I think it always did for me. Like when I was younger and I went down a path of addiction, when I was in them low points and in that addiction, I'd always, for some reason, I didn't, I'm only noticing it now, but I'd always go out into a field or like, and sit there by myself. That's where I went. But it was like, I didn't realize at the time that that was like, it was pulling me towards it. And now that I've, come out of that it's like it's just it's nature that gives me the peace and i just think that that it's so important now for young people to connect with that nature and have some sort of ritual um ritual is a strong word it might freak people out before i know i've said it in groups and they've been like standing back they're like i was liking what you were saying until you mentioned the word ritual you know but <laughs> um have something for for teenagers come into manhood so they don't stay as teenagers the whole way up until their 40s i know that there used to be some sort of ceremonies and stuff i don't know do you have any insight on that what kind of what kind of things or rituals or whatever word you'd like to use there that teenagers should go through to um kind of transition into manhood yeah um and again, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, it, there'd be a great point of despair to it all because we'd be thinking none of these solutions are anywhere near mainstream society, but they seem to be ever more. Like with mindfulness is slowly coming into the schools. At least almost everyone in Ireland probably knows what mindfulness is. And five years ago, we didn't, you know? And actually just like maybe two weeks ago, I learned about yoga nidra. I'd never heard about yoga nidra before. You know, it's just very slow. It's yoga, sleeping yoga. You listen to these 30 minute scripts on, on, the, on the internet and they just put you into a really profound, deep, like sleep type zone um, really easily. And like, there's no one who wouldn't immediately fall for yoga nidra. But the other thing, the reason that I started gardening, I started going out in nature in the same way that you, it was an instinctual thing to get out in nature. Like I, when the age of 18 or 19, I started suffering really bad depression and I thought, okay, is my life, do I have a life of depression ahead of me? And I thought, I don't want this. I am, I have gone to all the trouble of incarnating into a physical body at this time. I am not going to lead a life where I'm in and out of, of um, psychiatric institutions and taking tablets. I just thought, I just made determined, I, I do whatever it took not to do that. And so I realized that when I'd be out in nature, I would be able to see beyond the smallness, beyond the fear, beyond the angst and the darkness. I thought, that's what I'm going to do. And then when I grew vegetables, whenever I was digging in the soil, I could feel I could feel this sense of ease. And of course, now, you know, again, mm. scientists have realized that the, we, the amount, the same amount of serotonin is released when we dig in the soil as is released when we're under, under Prozac. It's the exact same amount. Like the body has been dealing with these masses of trauma and stresses for thousands of years. We have the healing devices. And you know, like in the last few years, a lot of people are talking about um, psychedelic drugs and that, that's dangerous stuff, you know, that's dangerous stuff. But then when you think one of the, one of the original pioneers of the 1960s expanded thinking who was you know, trying all of those LSD and, and other drugs, invented holotropic breathwork. What's holotropic? Yeah, and holotropic breathwork is a complicated thing that one needs to do under guidance. One shouldn't try it on its own. But basically, it's listening to loud music with your eyes closed and breathing deeply, and you go into other realms. You go into other realms very quickly. And your, your, the wider self seems to guide you to the realms that you need to go to learn in. But basically, what's happening there? You're eyes are closed, you're breathing deeply and you're listening to heavy drums. Like every ritual of every society around the world had that as a regular 
thing that they would do a few times a year. They would, you know, they would dance. They would, it was always based on heavy music, heavy drums or loud music, and they would go into other zones. It's just part of the, the services that we have in our brain to reset us, to rewire us, and to bring us back to, to what matters again. Um, and so we know these things work. We know we don't need to buy expensive things or take foreign, you know, substances. We can just chan, we can do it by just breathing and listening to our own selves. And then to answer your question, what we need to do then is, is create simple rituals like this for young people. And any, anyone, any young person who tried one of these in, you know, would immediately love it because the, the effects are really powerful, really powerful. And that's only, all a kid wants is experience, is when sensation. And any of these rituals of breathing are just expanded thinking, do, they, they feel palpable, they feel real. Um, so it'd be pretty easy for us as adults, as a new generation, to bring these on in for our kids and our kids would love it. They feel lost. You remember how lost you felt. I remember when I was, as I said, 18 and 19, so depressed. All I wanted was guidance, was something bigger, was something mm -hmm. grander than my own, than my own selfishness and the small sort of capitalist world I was born into. I craved it and so many people do, but we don't see any option. All we're told about in career guidance and by our parents and by our schools is become a nice cog in the, in, in the wheel of life, go out and just serve and ideally get a mortgage, get a mortgage as quickly as you can so that you are totally locked into everything. And there are, at least in my eyes, there will always be people who want to be part of that system, who maybe in this incarnation don't want to take any big, don't want to explore or don't want to investigate themselves and don't want to, to break out of the, the shell. And that is fine. If, if, we, if there is such a thing as incarnation, I probably had many lives where I've led that tame life. But what seems to be really clear at this moment in life, there is a, a rising majority of people who want answers, who want a bigger view, who want a, a Weltanschauung, a worldview. And all we need to do is, is make them more available. Like in my periods of depression, and I, you know, I went off to Africa, went off to India, South America, looking for answers. I didn't find it, but eventually I, I just found a, the new age shelf in my library in, in Dublin. And uh, you know, there was some really wacky, um, wacky uh, sort of crazy books on new age and spiritual shelves, but also I found some gems that made me think, wow, there are other ways of viewing reality. And after that, I thought actually, I'm happy to, to, to stick around in this life. This life can be so much more creative and expansive. And as you say, we just need to find ways of, of putting that out there. And that's exactly what Wolf Academy is doing. That's what yous are doing, which is heroic. And again, yous aren't alone. There are other, other people feeling inspired. It's, it's a really exciting time. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I think as well is we need to make it more normalized because there is this, even I said earlier, like, spiritual i had a spiritual journey and i felt like people listening i'm gonna be like oh like don't listen to him because he's talking about spirituality and i feel like it's either people always look to the extremes and everything look like you're either spiritual or you're like logical and it's like well no it's always somewhere in the middle like we need as you said like you still need to live your normal life and pay your taxes and do your whatever you have to do and then you dip into these other realms when you need to, to recharge your system. And I think that's the, the key. What we're trying to do is even with the podcast, whatever, is just kind of talk about these things and without the extremeness of it all. And I think, yeah, bringing, bringing it in easily, like with breath work and stuff like that, which is much more safe and still holotropic, obviously, as you said, needs guidance, but it's more approachable for people than say, oh, let's do psychedelics. Obviously, I don't think Ireland's ready for that with teenagers just yet. But uh, so I think, yeah, it's definitely, as you said as well, drop it in slowly and build from there. But the question I wanted to ask you was, do you think the cause of a lot of the depression and anxiety we're seeing in young people today is because of that lack of connection to themselves and to a higher purpose? Or do you think that's the main reason for, for what's going on these today with depression and anxiety being at all time highs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. So that sense of alienation and wanting to reconnect 
it happens, two things happening. Like, so obviously first in Ireland, we had Christian church and that uh, obviously closed our minds in some ways, but actually it was a great boon to us. It was this grander force that we could lie back on. We could, you know, um, sort of, yeah, rest back into the arms of the Virgin Mary or God. And that held us in times of difficulty. And that had an important psychological component. And that's now from so many people either gone or they're questioning it. So there is this big vacuum that needs to be filled with something. And as I say, if we can guide people to look and see nature and the, the planets and the, the, the cycles and the seasons as something that will nourish us, um, if we see a divine element, which was what you know our pagan forefathers saw, the pre-Christian forefathers, where there was a, our ancestors, where there was a God in every single blackberry, in every raindrop, in every wind, in every butterfly wing. And that was the belief we have had for the last 5,000 years on this island until St. Patrick arrived in, in the fifth century. And then we kept so much of that idea of, it's basically the animistic belief, the belief that you will find in any native people all around the world, that there is spirit, there is a God force animating every single element of life. That's what we believed. That's what we managed to keep um, alive for you know centuries under the cloak of, of Christianity. And that's what we need to go back to. We need to go back to it for two reasons though. One, obviously, so that we have meaning in our life, so that we don't feel anxiety and alienated as, as you say we do. But also we now know that like the world faces the biggest challenge ever, the, you know, uh, the climate crisis. And the only way we're gonna come on that, come overcome that is to come back in rhythm in cycle with the planet and realize what the planet actually needs and that we cannot just be you know on top exploiting it which which we did so both things are going to happen really beautifully together and again we've seen models of this like Myanmar or Burma they had this idea where um, people would you know um, a young by um, Myanmar boy would join go into the Buddhist monastery for about three years from the age of I suppose eight until 12 or so 30 then would come out probably do a few years of school, then marry, have kids. And then when the kids were about six or seven, could look after, they go to their grandparents, they'd go back into the monastery again. So there, as you said, there are times where we will have two feet planted in the real world and we will be absolutely focused on that. But there'll be other times where we can go and just spend more time doing yoga nidras and doing just messing around and going on long walks and things. Like, we now we know that we're not going to need to work as hard as we did because that sort of labor isn't going to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. We know that there probably is going to have to be some type of universal income, basic income. So people will just be the only way the planet is going to survive is as if these things happen. If we first find meaning in our life and don't continue this despair and this anxiety and this um, this self perpetual. Um, sort of slow suicide that we, we seem to be doing and the other thing is if we really root into nature so the options are either you know things end very badly or we evolve into this new way where we're in tune with our bodies and with nature and we have this flourishing um, and in some ways that sounds really naff and vague and and far out but you can see so many of the first signs of this coming along um, it's small, for example, like, like you know, you mentioned Dermot Ling, who's doing an amazing things with the Irish language, but it's really his only Dermot Ling. I can't think of anyone else. What he's doing, it's so simple. He's saying, yes, this Irish language is a really key part of our culture, a part of our makeup. It has wisdom to give us. So I'm not going to give it to you in a school because it's school has been, you've been traumatized by by Irish in school. So I'm just going to take it out and we're going to go for wild swims. We're going to play hurling on the beach and we're going to have great food grown from the, in the garden and we're going to cook it up outside and we're going to speak Irish. Like there's very few people who that wouldn't be an attractive idea for mm. um, to if they heard it, but it's only Dermot doing it. You know, the rest are you're going to a banatee who's giving you white sliced bread with processed cheese um, in an old bungalow and that's because we're, we're in between mindsets we're in between not only mindsets but worlds it's a it's a it's a really pivotal time where some people are daring to see an entire different way of, of, of living in the world definitely and just one other thing I wanted to touch on it because some people say to us like why are you doing a podcast that's just for men like the Wolf Brothers and it's about helping men understand themselves better and heal their pain reconnect with their warrior spirit but the reason me and Daryl think it's important to focus on men is so that we can be better in society 
for both other men and other women. So how we should act as men, how we should heal our pain so that we can be better. And I think that even noticing from like women's circles and there's great things going on down in Avondale, there's retreats there for women to like women step into their power. And I feel that that's what the world needs as well, because I think, as you mentioned as well, that this masculine energy of conquer and the strongest rise and the weakest are at the bottom. And I think that women energy, the feminine energy of nature as well is starting to rise again. And how important do you see the role of women in society in Ireland as things progress? And you see that kind of that surge as well. Yeah. So, you know, when I was saying this idea that we there does seem to be a movement where we are moving back towards a deeper connection with ourselves and nature and the cycles and the planet that's all female this that intuitive thing the intuitive feeling of honing in on themselves is is a is a it was more of a female um element in the same way as nature has always been seen in so many native american and so so many native cultures as a female form um the earth and the and, and, the, and the and the natural systems so and even that idea that i refer in the 60s you know the age of Aquarius that was that meant a female rising so again we've been we've been hearing about this and we've been seeing the first the first vague simmerings of it from the 1960s it is finally upon us and that required that means that everyone is going to shift so you are seeing more and more women coming forward and really interesting you're seeing men and it's a small enough contingent for the moment I suppose us realizing all of that um that misogyny that we had built into us, us just because I come out of a I was born in 1970 so I come out of a world where you know there was so much incipient misogyny so much idea that men should control things and were wiser and more sane and so it's sort of there's so much blind bias it is in, inculcated into me and into all of us that sort of idea that actually men should have some leadership role and men should be heard more and men should be paid more these ridiculous concepts were something i was born into so as you said like what's vital about the the wolf academy is is that you are beginning that process all of us the men need to start we need to re-evaluate everything we thought was right because it was on a like it's amazing what the masculine yang energy created over the last centuries but we realize it's not sustainable we have transformed the planet which is heroic it's mar it's masterful but we know it's also killing us so this is this amazing time of frightening time of humility where men are realizing so we had the boglands which were our protectors of the midlands and then we had world war one world war two two great male forces of war on the world and we came back after that and we started building we started building um, yeah, you know, turf extractors, basically tanks, the same technology that we'd use in the First World War for um, to create tanks, we started bringing them out in the bog and extracting our bog, and have basically wiped out, you know, 70% of our bogs, have released so much carbon into the earth, just through a male way of exploiting the land, of controlling the land. So everything is shifting as we're going back towards this more female way. Um, it's really challenging, though, because Let's say I'm often asked to, to enlist some people to, to either be on a panel or to be on a TV program or to talk about these ideas. It's men's voices that come to me still. You know, I still think of men first um, as spokespeople, as pioneers, as leaders. So I am still totally locked into that old paradigm of thinking. And again, I mean, because so many of the people who had the highest profile in the past were men. So we're in this really difficult time where I am part of the problem, you know, and I need to get out of the way. And what I do know, though, if we do go back into the mythology and if we do go back into the language, particularly the mythology, they bring us right back to the female. Like all of the rivers in Ireland, they are female goddesses. Um, all of the, the spiritual sites, the, the sort of cairns and those places that we go for ritual, they are so much about the female energy. And maybe some of them will have, uh, you know, uh, a male god will have Cúchulainn or Lug or Finn put onto them. But they've been put onto them almost in the, um, in the Iron Age. If you strip back a layer before, it's all about the female. Mm. So uh, funny where I mentioned, you know, that something happened 2000 years ago with Jesus um, bringing new energy. But there was some point before that where it switched, you know, where the female energy, like in Rome, obviously it had, it had switched to male long before. But in places like Ireland, the female energy had existed, had power for a lot longer. Um, and we're now 
we're now beginning these really uncomfortable, sensitive, frightening moments of seeding, us seeding our power and realizing that if we do listen to that female energy, it'll lead us onto a journey that will be a lot more nourishing, a lot more um, that lead to thriving for more people, to more plentiful food, more healthy connection with the world. But losing the certainty of that past, of that male-dominated past, is bound to be really discomforting for all of us. When you're so used to something, I suppose, um, and it's so ingrained to change it, is it's just it's not a comfortable thing but i think for me like that intuitiveness you mentioned with the female energy like i'm seeing that so much now like i did actually i never knew what it was but i did used to see it with my own mother katrina um this intuitivity she had when it came to me and knowing how i was feeling and that kind of stuff and just she'd always know these things that i'd never know how she'd know kind of do you know that kind of way and um and now I'm seeing it with, with other women as well, like my partner Aoife as well. Like, just, it's an incredible power, I suppose, mm. that they have. Mm. And I love to see, I love to see the way they're getting together and harnessing that power. And I think with the, with the things we're doing, with the circles and that as well, it's, it's kind of bringing us down, like not bringing us down, but like. Bringing us together. Bringing us together. Um, and. Like for me anyway, my pride and ego was definitely, my pride and ego was fucking huge at one stage. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, it's not gone whatsoever. I'll admit that. It's not gone whatsoever, but it's coming down and I'm getting more comfortable with things. And that's because of the female energy. Like I know it is. Um, and because of that then, when we're getting together as men, we're more open. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's just having that knock on effect. For me, it's, it's like I know, yeah, obviously it's been the balance has been tipped towards the masculine for a long time and it needs to tip back the other way. But I think as with everything I said already, it always is going to be somewhere in the middle and it's it's about merging the yin and the yang of the male and the female. And that's what I think would be beautiful if we could do that. And it's always going to be a balancing act. But I think we have our men's circles now and the women have their circles. Just I think we do need that time alone to go through our stuff as males and as females and then just like with this podcast as males we can work through our shit and then when we come back to join with the females mm. and what works then is magical for me it's important that we recognize this emergence of the feminine energy and support it and just do our part and they do theirs and i think it's not one or the other yeah it's and, and i mean it is going to be messy just because uh, as daryl said you know, the ego is so like my ego is still massive, you know, and the the Me one too. thing women have is this, <laughs> is this bullshit, you know, women have the, the, that intuit intuitiveness is one nice way of calling it. Otherwise, it's an inner bullshit detector detector. And they would just call us out mm. like, you know, mm. oh, I'm particularly so aware of me talking, men talking, you know, I'm just bored of hearing me and hearing men talking everywhere on the radio and everything else. Now, it's important. This is Wolf Academy is different because it's about men trying to break through these and finding ways. The only way we're going to do that is if we if we if we talk it out. But in so many societies, you'll have a man talking and women listening and so much and mainly often it's me talking and so much of what I say is bullshit. And it's a woman who can actually you know cut through that it's really uncomfortable it's really not nice um but we know if we get through the other side and as you said it's not about women taking over it really isn't it it's about finding a balance but then there's going to be some dancing and some uncomfortable experiences um as society gets to there i think 100 percent. because what i think is like there will be men and there will be women that are going to take it too far on both sides that's obviously the danger that's with this. I suppose all you can do is try and keep yourself in check and keep the balance mm. for yourself. You can't really get too hung up on how everyone else is dealing with it. It's just about doing it for yourself. Like I've been, I've been trying a lot of things lately to reconnect myself because I noticed myself, I got treatment a few years ago and everything was very, very nice for a while and it was going up and up and up and up and how I felt. But then that's never going to last. So like I came to a level playing field then and the level playing field, it just kind of felt like nothing or something, you know? So I had to kind of look deeper and there is a lot of other stuff I need to heal. So I found that out and I'm trying different ways of doing it. And it's always, again, like I 
said, I know I keep saying it, but nature, like I was listening to a book by a guy called uh, Sadhguru. Oh, yeah. And yeah, inner engineering. So what I've been doing lately, and this is going to sound a bit mad, but I've been meditating with plants. Okay. So I've been breeding. I've been breeding out and I'm imagining the plant breeding that in. And then when, as I'm inhaling, it's the plant breathing out. And I've been sitting there doing that. And those things, like they are bringing an awareness to me. It's just, it's uncomfortable maybe doing some things that are new. And you kind of have to follow, follow the uncomfortable, pushing your comfort zone kind of things. And I think that's where you, you find the growth. Definitely. definitely. Yeah, I think for me as well, yeah, the ego is a big thing that I've been just battling with for long time but i think that's what drives me to do things like me and Daryl starting wolf academy like i feel like we do need it somewhat because i remember I actually had a chance i did ayahuasca there last last start last year and it gave i don't want to go into it too much but it gave me the opportunity to let the ego go and i just said no i need it so i i always thought i want to get rid of it then i was like i actually need it for certain things so i think it's just being aware of it and having things in place like for men, because we will get carried away, especially if you start doing things and being certain levels of success or whatever you think you're doing, you might be like, I just know I'll get carried away. So I, I even say to my girlfriend, you have to keep me in check if I ever start being a dickhead, like the bullshit detector that you mentioned. So um, I have a few people in place for that. One of my friends, Teen, and he'll do that as well. I don't have to ask him, but uh, <laughs> I just, I think it's so important to recognize that as men, that we have this, a lot of the time, this massive ego and it's not necessarily all bad. It's just being aware when it's flaring up and being aware of why you're doing certain things. Like, is it true to the, your values? I just wanted to ask, do you have any practices yourself to check like ego, to have that kind of death practice where you get rid of the ego for a while or how do you keep it in check? Yeah, it's really comp it's it's a complicated issue, and I love the fact that you say that you want some of your ego because I do too. Like uh, so much of um, so much of my life has and my success in life has been about you know being a persona almost creating a persona that you communicate. And as you, I would have learned that I would have come up with that idea you know twenty two years ago in India when as you said, I was up in the Himalayas thinking really beautiful thoughts, but I realized people would have just laughed me out of it. And I thought, no, I want to find a way. There's something important in my head and I want to find a way of saying it. And that required creating a persona and, you know, so whatever I do, I write in the Irish Times, I do my radio piece, do my TV, do my, my books. Um, and so that's hard because all that is creating almost the Moncon McGann identity. Mm -hmm. And then you also need to, re and but then particularly when my book came out and people thought it was spiritually wise and people would send me emails. And so I'd read these out to my girlfriend and she knows, she knows what an idiot I am, you know? So it's really <laughs> balancing. I need that ego to be a voice um, to goes out there, but I also need to laugh at myself and realize it is worthless. It is nothing. Um, so it's a complex balance. Really, I mean, I was just lucky. Since I was a kid, I had this connection with these what I see as sort of spiritual guides or something inside my head, these, these otherworldly voices that are really just really um, not, it's not a, it's not a schizophrenic thing at all. It's just, it's just someone that sort of guides me. It basically is like loving energy. And so they, I like the perspective they give me on myself. They sort of remind me, look, you're in a physical body now that requires some things. It requires you to be able to know how to do finances and play with an ego, but none of that is who you are. I am an energy. I'm no different from the wind or, you know, or a fart or anything or a river or a ripple in the river. Um, but I'm just expressing at this time in this body, but don't believe in the body. The body is just, it's make-believe. You're using it. Uh, do not get carried away. Do not get addicted to who the body is or to who this persona you've created. Um, so I try and make time every day to remember that. Um, mm. And as you say, sometimes you lose the plot, um, but it's that, it is that balance. Yeah, and I think what you said there, I remember writing something before, I do a bit of writing myself, and I, I wrote an article saying, if I was hanging from a cliff and I had one last thing to say, it's love yourself like your life depends on it, because it does. And I think the root of all of us, not loving ourselves is because we think we're this physical body mm -hmm. and we think we're this identity and persona and I am my job and I am my achievements and my looks and all this 
which is really bullshit because that's not at the core of who we are. And for me, for years, I thought I loved myself, but it was only until, as I said, my spiritual journey where I went to the top of the mountain in Mexico and then the ayahuasca and I realized, especially in ayahuasca, how much pain I had and how much that little boy in me was just crying out for some love. And I just could never give to him. I had to achieve things. I thought I had to achieve things to be worthy of this love. And I just so much pain there. I think I cried for about four hours. And I think that's my, the message I want to get across people is like, you have to find that love for yourself and then everything else just becomes so much easier and life just becomes so much better. When you know that you are not this, this uh, ego identity you think you are, you're so much more than that. Um, so that was like, for me, that's, I know it's, it's kind of hard to get there at times. It takes a lot of work and I'm still working on, I'm not saying I'm, I fully love myself. I'm still really hard on myself at times. I'm like, Jesus, what, why am I so hard on myself or whatever? So it's kind of getting that balance again of compassion and actually doing stuff. So, but for me, that's my main message. And I was happy that you hit on that there mm. just as to realize there is a separation. You're not your thoughts. You're not your identity. Yeah. Yeah, can I make two other brief points really quickly? Mm. Um, first, you know, in one way, this, this, we are kind of marginal there in the, the mainstream society isn't really thinking about these things now, but they're thinking more about them every year. It's been clear. And it just seems that that younger generation, the sort of the, the ones in the last 10 and 20 years have such a more profound emotional intelligence and emotional um, empathy. So they're not going to put up with locking all the feelings down and denying, which was fine when I was born in the 1970s. That was the that was the norm of the energy. You were comfortable in society if you could do that. And then, you know, when news came along it was slightly different. But when people are coming along now, the next they can't do that. There there is a purity in the energy that they're no longer willing to lie. The other thing I want to say is that so you've outlined there some big challenges that we personally need to overcome. But really there's an even, there's something else we need to add into the mix. And it sounds like it's just impossible, but it's not. It's just another, another notch that once it's in there, everything opens up. And that is, that's ancestral trauma. And that just sounds like ridiculous. We, we have enough on, on our plates. But ancestral trauma is very easy. It's just acknowledging, like when, when you're feeling that feeling about the language, that this is something important in my past, or when you're going to the Hilatara or somewhere that was important to us, that's connecting with the ancestors. And then we need to, as part of that, realize, Okay, all, all tribal societies all around the world, they respect their ancestors, but they also realize that dark things happened and we need to allow paths for them to cleanse. It's pretty, it's pretty easy. It doesn't need to be a life's work. But what is really clear is that, to me at least, the reason that we have such a difficult relationship with the Irish language seems to be trauma, uh, past psychological trauma, because like we we all know the facts. We do 10 years of it in school and yet we come out without a word. That's physically impossible. Children have the most plastic, the most malleable minds in, you know, like known to neuroscience. You can put anything in that brain, it will stick and it can be regurgitated. But the Irish language can't. And that just shows the amazing power of psychological trauma. We deep inside epigenetically or in other words you know it's never been proven in the genes in between the genes we can have memory of past events so we have that memory of our great great grandparents or in my case just yeah my great great grandparents surviving during the famine and that they, they realized they were dying you know in mayo 70 percent of the people were, were dead the only way out of that was if you learned english and then could either leave and go to england or america so any parent who survived they made it their mission to never hear a word of Irish from their children because that was only what the potatoes were going to fail again. They'd failed every year from 39, you know, 41, 42, up to 47, 49, 19, 1849. The potatoes crop was going to continue to fail. The children had to leave. They had to have English. And at that same time, 1849, 1840s, um, in 1831 was when the British put the national school system in Ireland. We had our schooling for the first time, but that could only be done through English. We had any word of Irish and you were, you were beaten, you know? So our survival as a people was determined on us learning English. No wonder we can't learn Irish now. So we first need to address that and realize, cleanse it, let it go. And once we've done that, then everything comes back. Then we reconnect with the land once, you know, that aspect of language. So. It, it sounds like a challenging thing, but it's just another thing to put into the mix. We, we deal with our own childhood trauma. 
we deal with our own shame and the controls of a society, a financial system that is trying to lock us and control us and a media system that want, doesn't want us to think. But then into that mix, we also realize, wait there, it's easy to want to connect with the glories of the past, but to realize there was trauma too, and we need to hold our hands and say, that's all gone now. We're living in a new age and we can come forward. I feel your pain. I feel the trauma that my ancestors felt, but it's okay now and we can move forward. Brilliant. Yeah. Never really heard of that trauma with the Irish language. No, I never heard it put sense. like that. And it makes it does. It makes so much sense. Like how how kids can't seem to. That's the only thing they can't hold in. Yeah. Just before we let you go, Mancon, we usually ask like two questions at the end. What is success for you? It means like basically shining uh, my light. So. I had this idea when I was about 17 or 18, I thought, okay, life can be a work of art. It can be a canvas. And I just want to paint this canvas and I don't want anything to get in my way um, of doing that. Um, and so what I wanted that canvas, I just wanted to be like, I was sometimes, you know, in my youth, I'd feel these feelings of bliss and light and beauty inside me. And I thought I want to manifest that on the canvas so that I can see it. So there's not just inside me and then I can show it to other people. So it's, and what's been amazing is that as the years have grown, I'm seeing more and more of that light coming in different parts of the world, more and more of these potentials and possibilities and hope. And so I just want to be able to reflect more and more of that back out there. That's what success is. Wow. If you could give your younger self back, maybe when you were 18, 19, one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, it would be to just to trust yourself more, to have patience, to to love yourself. You, I really felt I had to get somewhere, you know. And I felt I was so I was I was I felt ashamed when I like I got my first job when I was twenty seven. Really, I was just lost, wandering the world. I had German um, because my parents, my grandparents, were these Republican revolutionaries. So I had German so that they could buy guns. So I was able to work in supermarkets. So I'd earned just enough money to go off somewhere. But I come back and by still twenty seven, I'd done nothing except worked in supermarkets. And I, the shame was there. I thought, I need to do this because I need to find, I don't want to lock myself into something. I need to find a way of, you know, living free. But at the same time, I felt such shame. I thought, God, I'm 27. I'll never come out to anything. So I just wish I could have told myself, just be patient. It does work out. Thanks very much, man, Kyle. It's actually yes. been great speaking to you. You're a very, very interesting dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Uh, mm. We didn't even get to touch on the... Uh, your Irish revolutionary ancestors, but uh, and your your granny Siegel Humphreys, but uh, which may be another time. But um, no, it's been a pleasure, man, Con, and I learned a lot there myself. Yeah, and um, a lot to take away from that. Yeah, and we're I'm loving your book as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it in my van. Me, myself and my girlfriend Megan are getting a van for the summer, so we're going to be driving around Ireland. So I'm looking forward to just chilling with that. Ideal, and like congratulations on what you are doing it's like it's it's powerful work you're doing the wolf academy you know again like with with um dear middling um you know he's one man and we need a, an army of them in the mm. same way a wolf academy user be flat out with the amount of work there needs to be loads more of those going on but it's just yeah. it's so it's just so exciting it's so energizing to see it happen it's powerful cheers, cheers, cheers very much